Hey, uh, I just want to kick it off this morning by saying that I am well aware that the Vegas Golden Knights hockey game kicks off at 12 o'clock noon, all right? <laughs> Therefore, if I see y'all start checking your phones, all right, I'm going to ask you what the score is, okay? <laughs> That's all I'm going to do, okay? No, I just, I'm going to try to stay in our, our time frame here, and I'm grateful that we can jump into God's Word. And all of you faithful church family members uh, chose to be here this morning and celebrate God's Word with us and, and dive in. Nearly a, a year ago, just about 10 to 11 months ago, we began this journey of walking verse by verse through this beautiful book in the Bible known as Ephesians. This five-chapter book is jam-packed with rich wisdom from God for His church, and I think it's great that we get to jump in and learn from it here today. I want to give us just a little bit of a refresh so we don't jump in cold into midway through Ephesians 2. Uh, I want us to be reminded of the value of this book. All the books in the Bible, all 66 books in the Bible are valuable, and each one is unique. I love how Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones once spoke of Ephesians. He said, it's, it's very difficult to speak of Ephesians in a controlled manner because of its greatness and because of its sublimity, which basically means it transcends greatness or beauty. Many have tried to describe it. One writer has described it as the crown and climax of Pauline theology. He continues, another has said that it is the distilled essence of the Christian religion. The most authoritative and most consummate compendium of our holy Christian faith. He says, what language that is, right? I can barely pronounce it. He says, and that language is by no means exaggerated. John MacArthur says it like this in his commentary on Ephesians. He says, Ephesians has rightly been titled the believer's bank and the treasure house of the Bible. This is a beautiful letter that tells Christians of their great riches, inheritance, and fullness in Jesus Christ and in his church. I think that's good for us to look at this morning. It unfolds for them the infinite blessings they possess in Christ and how they can claim and enjoy those possessions. So we, we see right here at the outset that this letter that we're approaching, that we're unpacking, that we're walking through, that God is discipling us through is a valuable letter to the church. We began in chapter 1, and we titled chapter 1 the theme of the blessed life. The blessed life. You can find all those sermons on walkchurch.com in the sermon archive tab. And in this blessed life, you realize that for those who are in Christ, who have believed in Christ, who have received Christ, they get all these blessings that are Christ's, right? So when you believe in him, the blessings that he has are, are attributed to your bank account, so, right, so at one point, your debt said, your balance said death because you had to pay for your sin. In Christ, it says forgiven. That's, that's the blessed life that we, I'm with you, I'm with you. I, I, I received that. Um, that's the blessed life that we see in Ephesians chapter 1. Um, we see all these blessings that we get, these spiritual inheritance that we have in Jesus. And chapter 2, which we kicked off just a few months back, we called from death to life from death to life as we learned all about our testimonies that are found in Ephesians chapter 2. 
What I mean by that is all of us are in Ephesians chapter 2 somewhere. Whether you're the lost person that is spiritually dead and apart from God, or you're the person that realized that and you were awakened to a relationship with Jesus by faith in Christ, you have been saved. I want us to go ahead and reread these verses and then we'll jump right in 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 verse 10 this morning. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 through 9. We're going to read these here together. If you uh, need to look at the cheat sheet, we got it for you on the screen. Can I get an amen from somebody? Let's go ahead and read Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 all the way through 9. It says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. Like the rest of mankind, verse 4, come on, somebody say these two words with me, but God, right? Verse 4, but God, as we continue reading, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Verse 5, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Somebody say that with me again. By grace, you have been saved. Verse 6, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward who? Toward us in Christ Jesus. Verse number eight, for by grace you have been saved through faith. So in case you didn't get it in verse five, I want to give it to you in verse eight, that you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. Friends, it's the gift of God. Verse nine, not as a result of works, Just in case you thought you could save yourself, you can't. There's nothing to boast in. But Jesus can, and he will. And that's somebody who we can boast in. And that leads us now to verse number 10, where we're going to spend the majority of our time today. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your word this morning. Thank you for Ephesians chapter 2. God, now we come to a moment in our service where we just ask you to speak to us clearly. God, remove distraction. Remove anything that's stealing our affection right now. And allow us to lock in on your word. Save people that, are, that need to be saved change people that need to be changed. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I want to preach a message to you this morning that I'm titling Poetry in Motion. Poetry in Motion. Maybe that doesn't fully make sense right now. Hopefully it will as we continue to dig into this verse. Um, One of the reasons why I love expositional preaching, or in other words, walking verse by verse through a scripture, through a book in the Bible, which is what we've been doing through Ephesians chapter 1 and 2. We'll make it all the way to the end one day. One of the reasons why I love doing that is because there's no time limit on it, right? It's not like, oh man, you know, we got to wrap it up and then 
We may not re revisit it ever. We're going to look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. And if we don't finish it, then we can just finish it next week. Amen? So this is part one. I'm assuming that there's going to be a part two. Uh, because I just believe that there's so much power in this one verse that deserves treatment, that deserves care, and that deserves unpacking. And so let's go ahead and unpack each word in this verse. I love what the Proverbs writer says in Proverbs 30 verse 5. He says, every word of God proves true. Somebody say every word. Every word, right? Some translations say every word of God is true. Some, some translations say every word of God is pure. Therefore, I want to take our time and look at every word. Because I, th I think that there's, there's a message for somebody in the room today or for somebody that's watching online in every word. So let's go ahead and do that now in this first part of Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Paul writes to the church and he writes to us today inspired by God. And he says, for we are his workmanship. Let's go ahead and spend a little bit of time on these five words this morning. He starts out by saying the word for, for we are his workmanship. Now this word for is placed there for a reason. It's the Greek word gar. It makes me sound like a pirate. Somebody say gar. Look at the person next to you and say gar. We can have fun at church. Come on, somebody. Gar, there's a primary participle. In the Greek, right, it, it, it's properly assigning a reason for what was previously said. It's giving a reason. Other words could be seeing or because of or then to now or therefore. It's a transitional phrase, if that makes sense. He's basically saying we're transitioning into a moment that we should really look at here. It's placed there to reveal something to the reader based on what was previously said. So as we look at Ephesians chapter 2, we realize from the very beginning of the chapter that we are in trouble, right? We are, we, we've totally blown it. Ephesians 2, right, we just read through it in verse 1 through 9, tells us in a very casual way that you were dead in your sins, your trespasses, following the course of this world, deceived in your thinking, following the enemy, children of wrath on your way to hell you have completely messed everything up says God and that is not just for somebody that is true for everybody and then we come to this moment those are all to set us up for for this for these two words but God that's all to set us up to realize but we need help but God being rich come on how do you how many of us know that God is rich He's got everything that we need. God being rich in mercy, he's rich in love, and he's rich in grace, sent his son to die for us, to rise for us, to do all the things that we couldn't do on our own, and ultimately to rescue and save us, and to call us into a new, right relationship with him. Paul says, therefore, now that you got all that, he wants us to see that for we are his workmanship. So with all that in mind, he says, for I want you to know who we are when we put our faith in Christ. He says, for we. Maybe you would ask, who's the we in this verse? 
I think it's important to ask that question because the we is not everybody. It's very clear here that the we is those who have received and believed upon Jesus. He's writing here to the church in Ephesus, which we have today and can use for instruction for the church at Walk Church. We are his workmanship. Notice what it says, created in Christ Jesus. So, right, if it's, it's for the people that are cr- new, cre- new creations in Christ, which is also a biblical phrase that we see in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, one of my favorite verses in all of the Bible. I would, I would encourage you to memorize this verse. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. She is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. The, the old person has passed away. Amen. And the new has come. And so here's why this is so cool. Because if you can find yourself in 2 Corinthians 5.17, you can find yourself in the we of Ephesians 2.10. If you can say, hey, I'm no longer my old self. Now, I'm, I haven't arrived yet, but I'm on my way I'm in Christ, the old is gone, the new has come, I'm not perfect, but I'm being perfected by the perfect one, I'm not the man I used to be, right, right, but I'm going somewhere. If that's your story, through your faith in Christ, you can find yourself in the we. So he's saying, for we, do you guys understand who the we is now? To the person in the room that that is far from God and you came in here today, I just want to speak to you for a second. I want to encourage you. I want to lovingly tell you, find yourself in the we by believing in Jesus, by turning from your sin, by saying, old self, you got to die so I can be the person that God's called me to be. I want to be a part of the we. I want to be, I want to be in the we. You can be. It's not exclusive. It's, it's, it's open. It's inclusive. You're included if you would believe. I want to just share that with you today. If you're here today, you're far from God, we love you here at Walk Church, and we want you to believe in the Savior who could save you today. Hear me. Hear my heart when, when I say that. For we are, we are. For we are, I love this word are. I want to highlight that word are just for a second. Because here's what's cool about this word are. It doesn't say that you might be. Doesn't see that say say that we may be. It doesn't say that we can be. It doesn't say that we aren't. It says, friends, that we are. Present word for us here today. It's the Greek word I may. It means to be. It means to exist now. It means to happen now, to be completely present. For we are, we presently are. It's what this word means. Now, are you guys ready for this? If you're ready, say ready. Ready. Here's what we are. We are his. For we are his. I like the NASB translation a little bit better here because it capitalizes the H. We are his. Friends, I had this whole plan when I was preparing this sermon as to where I wanted to go this week. And I never got past these four words. Because I was ready to jump right to the workmanship. And I realized you could miss, you could miss that we're his. 
You're not just his workmanship. You're not just somebody. You are his. Oh, man, this is good news for somebody today. That... That we're his. I'm not my own. I'm not of this world. I'm not, I'm not a slave to anything. I am his. And that's your story too if you're in Christ. Love what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 through 20. As the apostle Paul writes to the Corinthian church, he says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own you see that language right there? Paul is writing to the Corinthian believers who are living in all types of sexual sin. And he's saying, did you forget who paid for you? Jesus bought you with his blood. This is a high price. This isn't just cheap grace that you can just trample over, right? Jesus actually died for you to buy you. That's the gospel right there. Jesus like, I love you so much, Joey and Y. I, I, I love you so much, Kelly. I'll die for you, is what Jesus says, like, I, to, to get you back. It's a prophetic reliving of the story of Hosea. Hosea, right? He has his wife, Gomer. Everybody say Gomer. What a name. Hosea's wife, Gomer, leaves and becomes a prostitute, and Hosea shows up where the prostitutes were hanging out, and buys her back. That is a picture of the gospel. As Israel and the church and the Gentiles have turned away from Christ, and Jesus says, I'm coming down from heaven to buy you back. We are His. We're His friends. I just want to remind you that you're so loved by Christ. You are so loved by Jesus. Don't forget the language that we come from out of Ephesians 2, verse 4 through 5. Right? We just read it. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Let's highlight that for a second. The great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses. So let me speak to somebody here today that thinks you're too bad, you're too messed up, you've blown it too many times to be loved by God. Even when you were dead, he loved you. Even when you were dead in your trust, you were a trespasser. Like if you tried to show up at the Golden Knights game tonight without a ticket, they'd be like, you're not getting in. You're, a tr you're trespassing, right? That's what we were doing in heaven. Even when we were trespassing, what God has for us, we were trespassing. It says, because of the great love with which he loved us, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. So if he's the one who made us alive, then we're his. You didn't make yourself alive. You ever seen a dead person say, yeah, I think I'm ready to be undead now? Like in, in John chapter 11, do you see Lazarus call himself out of the grave? It takes Jesus who speaks to the, the grave and says, Lazarus, come out. Man, and this dead man was, walks out with all his wraps on. That's, that's our story, friends. Jesus did that for us. He not only makes us alive, but let's also be reminded of what he did for us in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4 through 5. 
even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love, friends. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. I want to highlight a couple things in this passage. What's so cool about this right here is that he chose us. Isn't that neat that he, he decided to choose you? I'm an athlete. I'm a basketball player. We usually only choose, you know, if you got a chance to pick somebody up, you'd pick the best person up. Why would he, how can it be that he chose you? Why would God go to Las Vegas and I'm choose you, Hayden? I, I still don't have the answer. That's called grace. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, God loved you. That we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself. I want to highlight that. I love it. What did Jesus adopt us to? He adopted us to himself. Like, he didn't just adopt us to his family. He adopted us to himself. Like, God's like, I really want you with me. I'll go as far as I need to go to adopt you to myself. These are the blessings that we have in Christ. That, that when you were far from God, God showed up at the adoption agency of the world and said, like, I'm taking you with me. I'm adopting you. Come on. Come on. I'm adopting you to myself. I'm adopting you to myself. Friends, we are his. We've been made alive by Christ. We've been adopted to Christ. That just means that we're his. And so I just don't want to rush past that that reality for we are his amen if you needed to hear that this morning I pray that you would just you'd stop there for just a second and just breathe and just be man thank you Lord for making me yours thank you Lord for bringing me in bringing me home thank you Lord for making me new and if he were to stop there that would totally be enough grace to last us but we now dive into something even deeper as we, as we jump into this W word. We are his workmanship. We are his workmanship. Now, maybe you're like me and you don't use the word workmanship too often in your vocabulary. It's the Greek word poema. It's where we get our English word poem, a creation a beautiful masterpiece. It is a construction from God himself using his hands and his wisdom. It's his work. How neat is it that God looks at you, church, and he says, that's my work right there. If you're going to boast in anything, boast that I'm his workmanship. I'm his workmanship. I like how the NIV translation says it. We are God's handiwork. Like God got really handy with you and, and, and made a beautiful creation in Christ. I like how the NLT translation says it. The New Living translation says, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. We are his masterpiece. Let me give you a couple definitions for the word masterpiece. The Oxford Pocket Dictionary 
defines masterpiece as a work of outstanding artistry, skill, or workmanship. Dictionary.com defines masterpiece, a person's greatest piece of work. What a title to be had. That, that you would be considered, friend, man, you'd be considered God's greatest piece of work. The angels, the angels are looking down at the church and are saying, man, that's why Jesus died. This is the greatest piece of work. When the church dwells together in unity, when the church lives as the body and bride of Christ, we are the masterpiece of God himself. Why is the local church so important? The local church is so important is because we're his masterpiece. We have to be united. Have you ever seen a masterpiece that's, that, that, that's divided? It's a masterpiece when it's all working together and Christ calls us his masterpiece. I love what R. Kent Hughes says in his commentary on Ephesians. He says, we are God's works of art. I do not think there is any more exalted description of a believer in all the scripture than this moment right here, these five words that we are his masterpiece. We are God's workmanship. And this is not just a New Testament principle. This has been on display from the beginning of creation. We see the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 64, 8 say that, but now, O Lord, you are our father. We are the clay and you are our potter. We are all the work of your hand. Amen. We see this in Isaiah 29 verse 16 because some people think, you know what? Hey, but, but the clay can talk. The clay can share how he wants to be molded. The clay can say, you know what? Do it this way. But that's not necessarily the case. The clay is just called to be obedient. <laughs> Honestly, the clay just sits there and allows the potter to mold. And here's the good news about the potter. He's been doing masterpieces. Masterpieces. Isaiah 29, verse 16, you turn things upside down. I see the exclamation point. Isaiah was getting excited. Shall, shall the potter be regarded as the clay that the thing made should say of its maker, he did not make me? That's every atheist in our nation. <laughs> Foolish. Or the thing formed say of him who formed it, he has no understanding. And God's like, I made you. Of course I understand you. Some of us think, you know what? God doesn't understand me. Friends, he made you. He, he formed you. You did not form yourself. We're, we're looking in, at ultrasounds in the doctor's office of what God did. He's the potter. We're the clay. And if, and if we can just submit to him and be completely surrendered, he will make us into a masterpiece. That is a promise from God in his word. Jeremiah, the prophet, confirms this in his prophetic book, chapter 18, verse 6. He says, Behold, the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. God continued to speak to his 
body, which was in the Old Testament Israel, and now grafted in is the church. And here we see him using the same language in Ephesians 2 as he did in Jeremiah 18. He's saying, if you just listen, I'll make you into a masterpiece. You're the clay. God's saying, I got this. I got this. If you gave Picasso a canvas, he would create a masterpiece. If you gave Beethoven a piano, he would play a masterpiece. If you gave God a bunch of sinners, come on, he would make a masterpiece out of you. I'm reminded that God would take everybody in this room, everybody in our dysfunctions and our struggles, we're all fellow strugglers here. Welcome to a room full of fellow strugglers on our way to glory. I'm being, I'm, I'm actually becoming more of a masterpiece daily. I may not have it figured out yet, but I don't have to, the clay, it's not the clay's job to have it figured out. The clay's job is to listen and to allow itself to be moldable. Are you moldable? Can Jesus say go and you'll go? Can Jesus say give and you'll give? Can Jesus say, say it, and you'll say it? Come on, right? That's the clay's job. I had a person say to me recently, he's like, hey, I, not, I believe the same way that you believe. And I said, yeah, but you're not surrendered like that. Because if God were to tell you to do something, you, could you do it? That's the difference. Amen? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The difference is the surrendered clay-type lifestyle. God, use me. God, do with me what you want me to do. My yes is on the table. Refine me in the refiner's fire so I can be the masterpiece that you call me to be. Tony Morita says that the heavens and earth display the glory of God's material creation. But this is a new creation. 